to the Starbright Project, a headcast network podcast about one of the greatest TV shows ever created, Quantum Leap. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Moss. I have been a Quantum Leap fan since uh, 1989. I discovered Quantum Leap through my mother. I was in my room at the time when my mom came in and told me there was a show that I needed to watch since it was about time travel. So I turned on NBC and settled in to watch my first episode. Man, I was hooked. Watched every episode. I rewatched it when it was re-aired on the USA Network and then later on other channels. Joining me is my wife and co-host, Michelle Moss. Hello. Unlike Mr. TV... Hey, I resemble that. I can't say that I had the same experience. I may have seen two, three episodes, and what I did see, I thoroughly did enjoy. When I met Aaron, it was one of those moments that surprised him when I told him that I actually knew of the show. Though... I didn't tell him how little I had actually seen. Here it is 14 years later, and now I'm watching each episode in order, one by one, as if it was a new primetime TV show, and I truly am excited. I do hope my inexperience will bring some nostalgia back to some of the old fans as I relive some of the mysteries and ask some questions you may have once asked back when you took your first leap with Sam and the rest of the Star Bright Project crew. Join us monthly as Michelle and I settle in and watch the entire run of Quantum Leap. I'm the Quantum Leap, I guess, expert on the show. (laughs) And I'm going to be the one asking a lot of questions, but hopefully helping reignite people's love for the show through a fresh pair of eyes. And we can experience it together on the Starbright Project podcast. And welcome back to the Starbright Project. Woohoo! And once again, Michelle and I are back to talk about Quantum Leap. Woohoo! Once again. And <laughs> this time out, we're looking at episode three. It's entitled The Right Hand of God. It's directed by Gilbert Shilton, written by John Hill. Uh, the leap location and date this time was Sacramento, California, October the 24th, 1974. That's close to home. It is very close to home. In fact, I, was, I would have been four when he leaped into this location. I was not even a twinkle in my mother's eye. Or father's eye. Somebody's eye. Someone's eye. Uh, this first aired, I'm sorry, April the 7th of 1989. And the synopsis from this one is from quantumleap.fandom.com. Sam leaps into Clarence Kid Cody, who is played by Michael Strasser in the mirror image, during a qualifying match for a heavyweight boxing championship. Little does Sam know that the match is fixed in Cody's favor, so Sam is able to knock his opponent out with only a mild defensive jab. After his match, his trainer, Mr. Gomez, played by an Alex Colon, or Colon, I guess Colin, says this is their last fight together as Cody's contract has been inherited by a group of nuns, led by Sister Angela, played by Michelle Joyner, and Sister Sarah, Nancy Cole. Sister Angela is excitedly placing her hopes in Sam that he will win the championship so the nuns can build a chapel to help the poor. Despite his reservations, Sam muses to Al that this mission must be to win the championship match. Upon returning to Cody's apartment, Sam is ushered into the limo of Jake Edwards, played by Guy Stockwell, who I find out later on is uh, Dean Stockwell's brother, a crooked boxing promoter who fixes matches for profit. Edwards has set up Cody's last 10 victories, but now wants him to lose the championship fight. 
Sam attempts to get out of the situation by suggesting he might retire. However, Edwards threatens that one of his goons will shoot him in the kneecaps if he opts out of the fight. Sam backs down from a retirement idea and is dismissed by Edwards, who tells him that he will be in touch to tell him which round to take a dive in. Sam returns to his apartment and converses with Cody's girlfriend, Dixie, played by Terry Copley. Dixie is a stripper who is helping Cody save money, so they can <coughs> both buy a donut shop together. However, Cody owes money to a local bookie named Roscoe, played by John Grease, which Dixie repays. Sam then tells her that he must move in at the nuns so they can train him for the championship fight. Al suggests to Sam that his best shot for leaping is to win the championship. Al, who reveals he was once a boxing champion as a teenager, offers to train him. However, Sam knows he needs a real trainer, not a hologram, so he seeks out Gomez for help. Gomez refuses, stating he is tired of training boxers to take dives. Edwards approaches them and reveals he once owned Gomez and regularly paid him to take dives. Ashamed and angered, Gomez decides that he will in fact train Sam. Gomez commences the training by having Sam spar with church priest Pablo Mulrooney, played by Louis Arquette. However, Mulrooney easily defeats Sam and knocks him out. Gomez realizes Sam is in need of some serious training. With both Gomez and Sister Angela's help, Sam undergoes an intense exercise regimen to help get into shape. While they are jogging with an 80s montage, Sam asks Sister Angela why building the chapel is so important to her. She tells his backstory that when she was a little girl, her family was killed in a fire and she ended up homeless. Her life was changed when she was taken in and cared for by the nuns. Since then, she has vowed to build a chapel as a shrine to commemorate her family, as well to help dissolute people like she once was. Al tells Sam that in the original history, Cody took a dive and lost the championship. Thus, Sister Angela never got to build the chapel and realize her dream. Sam is now determined to win the fight for her. But when Mr. Edwards learns of Sam's plans, he instructs him to take a dive in the first round. Sam tells Edwards that he will decide which round to bet on. However, Edwards eventually refuses and sends a message along with a payment, via Sister Angela, reiterating instructions for Sam to take a dive in the first round. Sister Angela becomes convinced that Sam is nothing but a cheat and retreats into disillusionment. Sam tells her he is not the same kid Cody who took dives in previous matches and asks her to keep faith in him. During the championship fight, Sam's opponent is Tiger Joe Jackson, played by Roger Hewitt. Initially, Jackson gains the upper hand and knocks Sam down. However, seeing Sister Angela's disappointed expression in the crowd, Sam gets back up. At his instruction, Dixie streaks for the, through the crowd, creating a diversion which allows Sam to overcome Jackson. Finally, with Al's help, Sam applies the finishing jabs and manages to knock Jackson out, winning the match. Afterwards, Dixie tells Sam they have won $48,000 for betting the correct round in which Muhammad Ali would defeat George Foreman in their famous bout which had occurred that day. It was this round, in fact, in which... Sam had asked Edwards to bet on earlier, but Edwards, of course, refused. Sam and Dixie planned to keep $20,000 of the winnings for themselves, $20,000 for the nuns, and the rest to Edwards as repayment for the money he gave Cody to take dives. Dixie and Edwards leave the room to collect the money from Roscoe, who placed the bet. Meanwhile, Sister Angela enters the room and apologizes to Sam for doubting him, as well as thanking him for winning the championship so that she can now build her chapel. And of course, with that, Sam leaps. So that was The Right Hand of God, the third episode. And again, depends on where you look at. This is either the third or fourth episode. I've probably said this before and I'll probably say it again because I've got no memory. But some episodes or some sites list the pilot, the, the Genesis episode. Sometimes it listed as one and sometimes it listed as two episodes. Depends where you look at. 
the way I look at it, this is the third episode because Genesis to me was one big pilot. So, so let's uh, look a little more closely at the actual episode. So, as I talked about in the synopsis, Sam leaps into Clarence Kid Cody. And again, we do get the mirror gag a couple of times here. What do you think about the mirror when they looked in the mirror and saw himself this time? Um, I wasn't expecting it to be this little lightweight guy. When I think boxing, I think a bigger guy. I wasn't expecting it to be this little guy, but especially because Scott Bakula isn't as little. Right. So there was definitely like a body difference. So that was kind of neat for me because once again, it showed a difference in body types. You know, they've done the difference in faces and they've done the difference in that kind of, you know, the differences. Right. So now it was like a difference in body type for me. And usually, yeah, when we see them, usually we just get a picture of kind of like their face. It's not a big difference in the body type. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that, that is a little bit different this time, I guess. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really think about that, but but yeah, that's a very good point. It was a difference in the big bo- you know, body type. And then it, I liked how after the mirror, when he sat down and they were cleaning up his little wound and stuff, yes. that there was actually a wound on the guy and Scott Bakula. Right. And I was really careful to, to look at that because... <laughs> When he goes into the apartment and he's talking to his Dixie. girlfriend, Dixie, I wanted to make sure, like, the owie was actually there. The owie. The wound. Listen to me. The owie. This is mommy talk here. Um, so, yeah. that I was watching for things like that this time around when I was watching it. And so, again, the nuns are played by Michelle Joyner. Listen to the show later on more for that. And Sister Sarah is played by Nancy Culp. Nancy Culp, I know her best from the Beverly Hillbillies, an old TV show where she played uh, Jane Hathaway. I forget his name now, but the, the millionaire, the rich guy, banker's uh, secretary. And at first, I, I didn't, I knew I recognized her from somewhere, but until I was talking with uh, uh, Michelle Joyner and my buddy Hayden McQueenie later on, which you'll hear about, I didn't realize who that was, and they pointed it out. You're like, oh, that's yeah. who that face is. I knew she looked familiar. Did you watch Beverly Hillbillies? I did. Did you recognize her or did you, do you know? I did not because I don't know faces for anything. <laughs> you, you could introduce me to somebody and then five minutes later be like, do I know you? So, sadly. And then after that, like I say, he goes on the way home to meet Dixie, of course, He is met by, as I talked about, Jake Edwards, played by Guy Stockwell, who, again, I saw in the credits, his name was Guy Stockwell, and I was wondering how he's related to, or if he was related to Dean. And again, later on, uh, I find out that that's Dean Stockwell's brother. And my question to you was, does he actually have that speech impediment? And I don't know him personally, but I, I assume he does. <laughs> well, I know you don't know him personally, <laughs> because otherwise we'd be talking to Al or Dean or Scott right now. But, you know, I, I assume that's just way he talks. But I didn't really look into it and see what else he's done to see if anything else. It's a good question. Uh, again, so I do like, you know, when uh, Edwards, Jake Edwards has Cody, in quotes, in the car and Sam's like, oh, maybe I'll... In the car, I'm like, oh boy, I know what's going to happen. This this is never good when you're a boxer or some kind of sports person and you get into a limo with, with 
a guy in a suit, it's usually bad, bad news. You've made a bad deal or something's going to happen where you're going to make a bad deal and they're going to tell you that they're going to shoot you. And I was right because that's what happened. He was going to shoot him in the kneecaps. He was going to carry, what is her name? Carrie from the what? skating people. Oh. Carrie Carrington? Carrington. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to club her or something like that. <laughs> but I, I thought, again, I'm not familiar with Guy Stockwell offhand, but I thought he did a very good job as a, a, a mob boss, in quotes. Yeah. Like, it's not necessarily the mob, but... No, I, it was very convincing to me. Yeah, so I don't, again, I don't know much acting that was and how much he's like that. But. <laughs> Say, hey, brother, you want to roll? Yeah, I don't know how, again, not to, yeah, so see if we can find out how that happened. Said he goes in and meets his girlfriend, Dixie, uh, as I said, played by Terry Copley. She was really cute. I oh, thought she was really bubbly. and. Oh, yeah, she was very beautiful. Yeah, very bubbly and very, the only thing that, that kind of bothers me again in quotes is that her hair looked like it's a wig. You know, she reminded me very much, but, um... I didn't think about that, but now that you mentioned it, I, I can kind of see that. It, that's, I kept, that's what kept popping into my head was I kept thinking of Annie and Rooster. I kept waiting for Rooster to pop out. Yeah, I, I could see that now that you mentioned I didn't think about it when we saw it, but yeah, now that you mentioned I, I could see that. That whole time frame, that's what... And I think that's about the same time frame Annie was... Well, I think Annie was, because this was the 70s. Early 70s. I think Annie was set... Yeah, no, Annie was set before the 70s. Are you sure? I'm positive, because who was the president there? Roosevelt? Roosevelt. And yeah, he wasn't the president in 74. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, he was set much, 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 much earlier. Yeah, very true. Yeah. And yeah, I just double-checked on Wikipedia. Yeah, and it was set in 33. Same year that Roosevelt was voted president. So yeah, it was much earlier than... (laughs) That's <laughs> Sam Lepton, too. Very true. But, I mean, she did remind me of that character. Right. No, I can see that. And, you know, I see, yeah, 33, that's much older than Sam could have leapt into. Maybe? Let's put a pin in that. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Bahamut. <laughs> you did that just to tease me. That's not even nice. I did. <laughs> Jerk off. Um, uh, anyway, so, yeah. So, uh, oh, Dixley. Dick Dixley. Dixie's a stripper. Yeah, you are Dixley. <laughs> She's a stripper who, who uh, her and Cody's trying to buy a donut shop together. And I like throughout the show that they, oh, some ladies enjoy being strippers, some don't. She, it seems like, yeah, she's just doing it to get money to have her dream. Which is a wholesome donut shop. <laughs> I mean, which is like <laughs> such like a, you An know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, kind of, yeah uh, completely, yeah. A stripper is trying to say, and usually, you know, most strippers, when you talk to them, not that I've ever talked to any. Uh-huh, anyway, most sure. strippers are, are saving up for, to go to school or pay for schooling or this or that. Law school. Or, or <laughs> uh, I mean, who you talk to? No, anyways. Uh, <laughs> but this one's, yeah, saving up to actually get a donut shop with a boyfriend. So, with yeah, I think sprinkles. that was nice with sprinkles, yes. I thought that was a nice, nice little touch. Yeah. Definitely something that the writer, like, you know, it's like, what could they be saving up for that's... Right. Totally off the wall. Yeah, I don't know if that's what they're if they were going for the opposite effect like that, or if it's just uh, maybe someone owned a donut shop. Maybe maybe owned a donut shop. I don't know where that came from, but that was because that's was a nice what touch. I would have done. Like I would have thought of like you know what is something a stripper could be saving up for that would just be so random. Right. Yeah. No, I, I definitely hear that. And then we cut to Sam 
training. And Al tells us that he was a, a boxing champion as a teenager. Yes. Um, Can we go back to one more thing about that? Yeah, real quick before I move from this, though. I just want to say uh, Al said he was a boxing champion as a teenager. Uh, let's take a pin of that. No, keep, keep remember that because things that Al has done in the past is going to keep coming back. Like he was an astronaut. Or he was something an yeah. Like he, was, he was space force. The uh, space force. That's, that's current day. <laughs> he was in the military. Uh, he has some astronaut training. Which makes me wonder if like he's like two hundred years old or something. Because how could he have like all this life experience? And we'll talk. We'll talk about that more later on. I've got some theories on that. But we'll wait till it comes. Up. But we'll, we'll talk about that more when it comes up later on. Because it's only the like second thing he's. He's really used his life experience on, so... Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything last episode with the, uh, Sam Lipton and Professor Bryant that he only not use anything offhand, but... But we'll, we'll come back to this again repeatedly and repeatedly in the future. <laughs> Trust me on this. Anyway, so you want to go back and talk about something else real quick? I just wanted to point out what they're saving their money in was, like, this heart satin pillow, <laughs> which was, like, very, like... Sexy schmexy, you know? So, like, here they're saving up for a donut shop, too. And she's like, oh, let me get out our thing. Not a box. Not, like, you know. So, yeah, a stripper oh, saving money for a donut shop and saving the money on a sexy little. Heart-shaped satin <laughs> pillow thing. You know, I don't know. It When I saw it, I kind of giggled inside. Because I was like, oh, wow. So, you need to pay attention to that. See, those are the kind of fun little details that... Then again, I made bitch. She was looking at Dixie. I don't know. I'm sure you but. were. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, it was those kind of things that made me giggle because she's like, here's our money. And she pulls out this like heart satin fuzzy pillow. It's like, let's pull out the fuzzy handcuffs kind of thing. You know, <laughs> that's what it reminded me of. So that, that was the only other thing I wanted to point out with that whole scenario. So, but I did like, I will say this. I liked how Sam, Sam always handles the ladies that he meets in a very gentlemanly fashion. I know oh. we've talked about this before. Right. The difference between Sam and Al. But I think Sam kind of had a liking to Dixie when he met her. Because of the way she handled herself. She was very... Um, I think Dixie had an aura about her. That Absolutely. I think Sam kind of liked about her. Because I think she had an innocence about her too. Right. And I think Sam enjoyed that innocence because you could see the smile on his face and the way that he related to her seemed a little bit different from the last couple of women that he's been mm. with. At least Which is I interesting because that. the last episode was actually supposed to be someone he was supposed to be in love with. Right. So it's interesting that you made that observation. And again, I, I'm terrible at relationships and at judging people like that. I mean... I mean, hell, when we first started dating, you had to push me into it to get me to go out, you know, ask you out. So, what the hell do I know? But <laughs> but he he just seemed to... I mean, I'm not saying he was falling in love with right. her by any means. Right. But he seemed to fall more comfortable in line with her as far as talking with her, being comfortable with her... And coaxing her to do the things that he needed for her right. to do, especially later on in the episode right. when he asked her to like strip, and strip, and 
and I know she is a stripper, so it wasn't that. But she actually had her reservations right. about doing it. But he was like, you know, it's for the donut shop. It's for us so we could get blah, 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 right. blah. But she also was jealous of the nuns. And he was able to kind of feel. Oh, no, no. She wasn't jealous of the nuns. She, she was, was jealous, jealous of, of the nun. Of <laughs> <laughs> Sister Angela. Right. And, um. And that's another thing. I thought the, the chemistry between Scott Bakula and... Michelle. Michelle, I thought was very good because, again, I, I, I could see... Uh, again, part of me was waiting to see if they were going to, you know, have a thing or fall. Even though she's a nun, I thought they played well played well together very well. Played together very they well. They had a really good chemistry. Yes. And I, I could see how Dixie may misinterpret. Mm-hmm. Especially with Sam, because Sam, being Cody, Sam is a very... As we've talked about, very compassionate, very, uh, he's got feelings and he doesn't mind sharing them so much. I mean, he's very, uh, compassionate, very, very easy to get along with. Which from what I've, I've heard from Mary that's ever dealt with Scott Bakula, he's actually that way in real life. He, he's very easy to get along with, so. And it's funny because you and Hayden and even Michelle had mentioned in in the conversation that we had in the bonus content that you guys were saying that you thought that there might be a chance for him and Michelle's character Sister Angela Sister Angela to have that romance or to fall right I didn't go there in my head like there was like a slight inkling but I never really had that real big thought process in my mind because I was more comfortable with the other two characters, Dixie and him. Right. Where I felt like there was, there was a connection there where he loved her and he was working on getting that donut shop for her and all of that, where I was feeling he was more connected that way, but he was more focused on, the story behind where the her story was right. and how he needed to get her the, the, church, the right. church. So and again, it all comes, also could be she's a dirty old man, but you know. Well, no, I mean a lot of stories <laughs> fall that way. Yeah, it's very much the typical storyline that happens. So I could see like how everybody's mind goes to that type of storyline, right? Because that's how most storylines go. And that's how it is. But for some reason, I mean, yes, they had great chemistry because they played very well together. Right. But in my mind, that's not where the story was going. And well, I no, didn't. The, the story wasn't going there. Again, that yeah. was just, again, a lot of times, that's, like you said, that's where stories go. Plus, again, I'm a dirty old man. And that's where my mind went. But that's because I thought, you know, so John was hot. But yeah, it's my own, you know, <laughs> fantasy. No, that's, uh, anyways, moving on from there. Uh, <laughs> And then they get the bar scene where uh, Sam and Gomez sit around talking and, and Sam's telling him that he's no longer going to throw any fights. He actually wants to fight for real. And Gomez is telling me, I don't want to, I don't want to train any boxers. that's going to take a dive. And then we find out when Edwards comes back, he comes in that Gomez actually used to be a fighter and used to take dives. Any thoughts on that? Um, I think that Gomez probably has some guilt probably in there. Oh, very much so. I think that's I think it's partly why he was so adamant about why I, I'm no longer gonna f- teach it, you know, uh, 
train anyone that takes dives. But he was already, at the beginning of the episode, in the ring with him. Right. So that's kind of confusing to me because why was he already with him to begin with unless he's decided that he's just done with it? Yeah, I think it's just he, he just reached a point where he's been trying to train Kid Cody, but Kid Cody's been taking these dives. Without knowing it? I'm not sure if he didn't know it or if it just got to be too much for him. He finally, you know, you can only pile on so much for, you know, something's going to break down. And, and, and maybe was like Kid say, the last Cody straw. figured out that he was dealing with the whole church thing too now. And that's like another level of... You mean Gomez? Yeah, Gomez. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No problem. Maybe Gomez now with the level of the church being added to right. it that Gomez is like, you know what? No, that's where I draw the and maybe line. Maybe I pushed his final button and yeah. pushed him over the edge. Yeah, that could be very well could be it. You know, he's like, you know, it's one thing to take a dive and it be for yourself. But when you add other people to right. it, especially the, a church and nuns, a church and, and nuns and, and orphans right. and that kind of thing, that's where he draws the line. And, you know, Kid, Co- Kid Cody, I keep saying that. And Gomez actually seems like he's very close in line, close with the church and the priest and the nuns because right. they all seem to kind of be in the same circle. If you think about it, like they all kind of knew each other. Well, I don't know. I don't know how well Gomez knew any of them beforehand because the nuns had, had won or bought Cody's contract. From someone? Yeah. I forget I don't know if they said where he got it from. I forget someone inherited. I forget where it came from now. Mm-hmm. They talk about the beginning that it was inherited. Someone, I think someone died and left the, the church and the nuns his contract. Okay. But how and, are the nuns in that ring with them? Because it seems like he's training in where the nuns are at. Well, yeah. So what happened was before we started this episode... Kid Cody was being trained. He was, his contract was owned by somebody. Mm-hmm. Mr. X. We'll call I him. meant the place. Well, I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, he was being trained by Mr. X. Or he was owned by Mr. X. Mm-hmm. And Gomez was training him. Mr. X died and he left his contract to Kid Cody to the nuns. So the nuns had just shown up. And that's why they wanted him to move into their place because they didn't have a lot of extra money for him to pay rent somewhere. Right. So they wanted to move into their place and they had some place where he could train. So that's why the nuns are there and the coach, the trainer was all there. Okay. Because Gomez so was training him. Yeah, whether it was Gomez's gym or the church, I don't know where they was training at, but maybe it was the church. I don't know. I don't think they said where he was actually training at. But okay. yeah, it's just the nuns owned Sam. And so that's why they're all together. I don't think Gomez had any prior dealings with the nuns before this. Hmm. Or maybe Gomez went to that church. Yeah, maybe. You never did really go into the details on that, so it's a possibility. I'm fanscaping it. That's fine. That's what we do. <laughs> and uh, I do like when Edward approached him and said, you know, that it revealed all this. Gomez, you know, that was enough to push him back over the edge. Okay, I'm, I'm going to train you now. Let's, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> that it's was like nice. one of those things where it's like someone just takes you off or you're just like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. going to prove you wrong. Yeah. And Very much so. That's really, like, a lot of people's personalities. I know, like, that's kind of, like, how I, my, how I kind of operate half the time, especially with, like, you know, certain people. But, um, yeah, I liked that attitude about it. And then the whole 80s montage. And my question is, 
And I know like you're going to put a stupid pin in it or whatever the case may be, but I'm going to say it anyways, even though it's, I'm not going to get an answer. Well, you'll get an answer. Just be that one you like. <sighs> anyways, what's your question? I don't even know if I want to waste the breath doing it. Go ahead. Kid Cody. Let's put a pin in that. No, stop it. Kid Cody is training. Right. Though you see Scott Bakula, the actor, doing the chin-up pull-ups. Kid Cody is the one pulling, doing the pull-ups. He's gaining the muscle. But Sam is only mentally in the body, correct? Sam is mentally in the body because he's leapt into the body. This episode? And yeah, I don't want to go into too much detail because again, th- th- this will, as I says, we explain later, but not really. It, the way they, ha- I'll tell you this: the way they handle it, it varies. Because this episode, the way I'm seeing it is this. Oh my god, this is so horrible. Kid Cody is doing the pull-ups, which means he should be the one who's training. His body should be the one that should be gaining the muscle. Right. Okay. We'll go with that. Okay, but you see Scott Bakula doing the training, which my brain goes, Scott Bakula is the one that's getting the muscle. But then my head goes, no, Scott Bakula is not doing getting the muscle because he leapt right. into Kid Cody's so yes, body. Kid, Kid Cody's body is doing all the work. Yes. And is getting the muscle. So Even though we see Sam doing it, we're going to say it's actually Kid Cody doing it. Right, so... And again, we'll, we'll talk more about this in future episodes. How oh, you, many Christmas? But for, for the time being, yes, that is correct. Okay. But I will say that... Sam is gaining experience. Yes, he's getting the knowledge. And he's getting the muscle... He may gain muscle memory from muscle it. Muscle memory, it. that's what I'm... That, yeah. Yes. But, but yeah, Kid Cody's actually... Because, again, Kid Cody may actually need the training because, like Gomez said, the last ten fights, he's... But he's not really getting the training because he's over with the white coat people in the, the memory is. box. But, no, no, no. He, but his body is. But it doesn't matter because even if he was like, I'm learning the right hook, left hook, duck, doing all this well, it's, stuff. Okay, it's not so much Hold on, let me finish. Let me okay, finish. Sorry. He's doing the, you know, if someone gives you a right hook here, you're going to duck and go left hook here. And that's Scott Bakula learning that. So then what's going to happen, though, is Scott Bakula learns that Kid Cody comes back. He's not going to remember that. So the next time he goes into the ring, even though he's going to he's going to be retired anyways, but that doesn't matter. But he's going to go into the ring. He's not going to know to do the duck and weave thing because someone throws him a right hook or a left hook or whatever, because it was Sam who learned it. So poor Kid Cody, because Sam learned the move and not Kid Cody. Well, okay, let me let me stop you there and let me let me defend it. I guess first of all, like you ended up with, it doesn't matter because Kid Cody's retiring and moving and opening up a donut shop. He's probably never going to fight again. He's going to get fat and old eating donuts. I know I would. I'm already fat and old. But that's beside the point. But back to your original point, Sam's learning all this because he's never been a fighter. Sam's an intellect. I don't know if he's ever fought a day in his life. So he needs to actually learn this. Apparently kid, he has because he punched that kid out when he opened the door from the... But anyways, that's how I guess. Touche. But, uh, but Kid Cody is an actual boxer. 
Kid Cody knows how to do all that. He's just gotten kind of rusty with it. So, yes, if he did come back in and was continuing to fight afterwards, he doesn't need to learn all this because he knows it all already. It's just he would go from being taking dives, taking dives, taking dives. He kind of but actually you're missing my point. No, I, I get what you're saying. That Kid Cody's not learning anything from this. But he doesn't really need to learn it. Okay, then let's take it a step further. Okay. Okay. Kid Cody has to learn a math problem in order to step into the ring before the next bout. Okay. And Sam learns the math problem. Right. Then he leaps out. Then Kid Cody comes back he and... He the math problem. That's jacked. But that's not the case here, though. I mean, But so I that, know it's not the case, but it just was an epiphany to me that how <laughs> yes, messed up any, that is. That Anything that, that Sam learns while being the person, yes, that knowledge does not... Transfer to the person that... I'm joking about that. Don't you even <laughs> go there. <laughs> yeah, no, if, if the, tra- the knowledge doesn't normally transfer over... Does it normally? Watch what you're saying. I'm trying to think. Well, yeah, the knowledge, I, I say normally because there may be something I'm missing. I'm forgetting. Mm. But yeah, the knowledge doesn't transfer over. In fact, episode, f- we're on episode three, episode five, we'll get a little more into that. <gasps> so let's put a pin in that until episode five. Oh my God. I'm lying you're killing, <laughs> you're killing me smalls. You're killing me smalls. But, uh. <laughs> but it's just like. But yes, no, you you are kind of correct there. Yeah, if if Cody did, and again, though, see, going back to where the story happened in the the Starlight Project really can mess people up. That can, and we kind of talked about that before. What happens when the Sam leaps out and the, the jerk leaps back in? We we, got, we talked about that last episode. I know, but that's with just Dr. Bryant. But now I'm really, really thinking about it. I'm really compassionate. Like I. <laughs> They need to shut down the Starbright Project before they mess up people's lives oh, for good. Like, yeah, poor Sam's gonna be left out leaping. Well, I think they need to get Sam home, but I well, know that's, that's what they're trying goal. to do. But I'm just saying, like that's this her is goal. <laughs> From your lips to <laughs> Joe Pesci's time, whatever's ears. <laughs> that's what they're trying to do is get him home. Oh my God, this is killing me. I'm only on episode three, three, but, right? Yes, three, three. Holy Toledo, this. And we have how many to go? Five seasons. Holy crap, Batman. I'm screwed. But, well, in, in, in this specific, specific example... I have my hands over my face, my face buried in my hands, and I'm just... But in this actual example, though, it's not as jarring as you as you want to make it seem like it is. Because, again, Cody, even though he's been, he's been taking dice for a while... He's a fighter. He knows all this. I know, but I'm just thinking of like the bigger picture. Right. And I know I'm blowing it out of proportion. Right. In future episodes, you have a valid point. But for this one here... Oh, future episodes, it gets worse? Well, I mean, in theory. <laughs> You're so bad. Oh my God. It, so it does. It gets. It can get worse. It's going to get worse in some episodes, isn't it? It could. It could. It might. It might. Oh, my God. Okay, let's continue before I freak out. So, anyway, so Sister Angela, is she's <laughs> helping Sam. By j- j- Sam's jogging. She tells us about her backstory about how she had a house fire. You know what? I'm going to end up binging this whole series and forget about, like, <laughs> wait. The first time looking at all that. But, yeah, the, the whole Sister Angela's backstory, I, I don't personally care for, just for personal reasons. As I've talked about my Head Speaks podcast, I yeah. lost my brother in a house fire when I was... 
14. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that kind of hits home with me. That touches, you know. Again, I don't like it. I thought it was an interesting story. And I like the way that uh, Michelle, I almost forgot her name. I did that. <laughs> I like how Michelle Joyner explained it and the way she told the story. And it was very heartwarming and very touching. And it was very, but to me, it's just a little too close to home for me. I, I'm sure. And, and you know what? It I could see that. And to continue that on, you know, when she was talking about uh, uncles and that kind of thing right. and, you know, bad people, not saying I had any uncles that were bad because right. I didn't, but men in general, right. you know, I'm sure that there was men who took advantage of her. Right. So... If you want to follow suit with that, same thing for right. me. Like, it was uncomfortable hearing it. And you know what? I have to say that hitting close to home, yeah. But for you, it was uncomfortable for me to hear it. Right. Because my heart hurts for you every time I hear something along those lines. And so, unfortunately, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, okay... Let's just keep going. Like, hurry up, okay. We're, we're going to talk about it. Let's just keep going and, you know, go through it. But they did it in a very classy way where it wasn't like... Oh, yeah, very much so. It wasn't like a horrific, you know, where they had to go into detail or, right. you know what I mean? And it, I think that it was very nunnery worded. If that's even a way to say it. Oh, that's a phrase. But I understand what you're saying. You know, she worded it very classy. Right. And she didn't, you know, when we talk about it and we're angry about it, we can choose words out of anger and hurt. Right. And... We can say things to show our anger and hurt through words, but it sounds like she had made peace through the other nun that helped her, and it showed that through. (laughs) Say the name because I know you want to, but it showed that in her her how she chose how to tell her story, Mm -hmm. which is another way it shows how she had been helped to heal. Right. Because when you hear someone tell their story and their past story, you can tell whether or not they've been healed or if they've chosen to heal or whether or not they've accepted what's happened and chosen to move forward in their life. Right. Um, So it was interesting to hear how she worded it. Um, And I liked how... She told how she wanted more from her life and how she was wanting to give back. And I thought that was pretty cool. It was really pretty. Oh, very Um, much so. It warmed my heart. I think that she... And then, like, I didn't realize it at the time, but she was talking about where she wanted it placed. And then... If finally, after watching it the second time, that's when I realized, oh, that's why they placed him into that one spot with the dirty couch. And right. uh, I didn't put two and two together the first time I saw it. But the second time when we were talking about how right. I watched it a couple of times and I started right. picking up certain things, that's why they put him in that dirty area because that's where she wanted it because she wanted to be like in Skid Row. Right. Where, because where it's needed. 
where it was needed because she actually lived in Skid Row and probably was a hooker or something right. along those lines when she was younger. And now she wants to reach out to those people. She's probably like from one of those those pastors that has like the tattoos all over their arms and stuff that reaches out to the people that right. you know no one wants to deal with. And I think that's fantastic. Which honestly is what they're supposed to do. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, they're supposed to, the ones that go to church every Sunday, he's not the one in theory that needs religion. Yep. They're supposed to, you know, they should be reaching out to the, the ones that, you know, the drug users and the, the gang members and the people on the street that, that need a helping hand, if you will. Well, that's why they say, you know, that, that whole, you know, it, that whole 99 or 100 sheep and he left the 99 for that right. one. That's the whole purpose of that, that verse. Right. Is that whole verse is right, right there, you know? And so she's doing that. And I think that's fantastic. And I really like there's one one part of the whole show that, like, still resonates with me is how there was a change in scenery where it showed a transition where it was gates and clouds. And it looked very much very holy. Right. And uh, I know that they did that for that transitional right. reason. Yeah. But if you look, if you actually watch the show, you'll actually see that transition and maybe you can find it in the show. And it was really beautifully done. Oh, yeah. Very much so. It was very artistically done. It was really pretty. And uh, I love looking for transitions like that in, in the show. I'm always like, ooh, that's a pretty transition. Ooh, I like the way they, the camera angle for this. I'm very much that kind of person who watches right. shows for those kind of things. But the other than that... I wasn't a big fan of the whole running training thing, and it looked like Scott Bakula was pigeon toed. We watched that tonight, and I pointed that out to you, and I could not Google it and find anything on it. And I've never noticed that, so I, I think it was just because he was running and he, he was he it, carrying yeah. bricks. He was just tired. He was yeah, the way he was. It was just yeah, he was, he was ready to collapse. But it did kind of look like he was pigeon toed a little bit in that. But I, I really doubt he was. But it did look like. And then it goes back to what you were talking about earlier. He's in Kid Cody's body. Sam's mentality in the body. Sam still fills whatever the body fills. Because he was tired. He was worn out from carrying the bricks and running. And, you know, he got punched in the face. He fell to So, I mean, even though it's just his consciousness in there, he's still, tie, he's still tied to the body. Right. So, what you're trying to tell me is if he... Well, which would make sense. Because I know there's one episode where he... Is a pregnant woman. Spoilers. I know that. I know that. I know that. I know that because I've seen it on TV. I don't know if I've watched it or not. I just know that I know that. Right. So I'm sure he felt labor pains, which means he's tied to the body. It's been good in that. Oh, shut up. Um, but then we move into uh, when Sam, you know, again, and Sam wants to hear sister. Uh, Angelo's story, he's even more concerned and, and trying to... He's but, more compelled. Right. But even then, even without that story, I think Sam... Sam is the type, he wouldn't take a dive anyways. He would do his best anyways. Right. Because that's who Sam... Sam's got morals. He's got a he's got, you know, strong character. But what if he had to for the actual character in order to leap? Would he do that? I believe if he actually felt he needed to, he would. So then you can't say he would. He wouldn't. He wouldn't normally, unless... Sam wouldn't take a dive unless he had to. Look at it that way. Okay. 
That's better. Yeah, unless Al says, well, he says there's you know 99.9% chance you have to take a dive here. He wouldn't. He would. He would probably. He would probably. He would do it because he needs to. But he would feel bad about it, right. yes, because that's who he's, he's very. That's the way his. And we'll again talk about this in future episodes. His moral compass. His, his father trained him, trained him, raised him properly. So again, right. we'll talk more about his home life later at some point. But anyways, moving on from there, uh, when he returns to the church, and Sister Angela tells him that Edwards brought him some money and told him to take dive in the first round. And Sister Angela was heartbroken at that point that you know. She finds out that this guy that, that she was putting all her hopes on, her dreams were pinned on him winning this round. Well, she thought God sent him right. to her. Not just, you know, yeah. that, but I mean, yeah, she's been if praying she's for it. a nun and she's been praying for this church, I mean, and you're, you're like, God, please, you know, send me something that's going to help me build this church. And, you know, all of a sudden. This guy dies and leaves you another man. I mean, your prayers are answered by, you know, oh, this, this thing, you know, and here comes this unanswered prayer. And then, and you have trust issues with people in general. Right. And then you give your, your, your trust in this person and you're trusting God. And she already had trust issues in God. Right. You know, and then you're like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And. I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden, you know, this happens and she doesn't have, you know, and she's pulled the rug underneath her feet. Mm-hmm. And then she, you know, second guesses it. And now she's mad at God and she's mad at everything else. And heaven forbid, I mean, she feels destroyed. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So I could see where, you know, she's. She's feeling like that. And she's unloading all, this, unloading all this on Sam, who, again, as we've talked about, has got a moral center. He's got, you know, he's a very stand-up guy, but he's left in the body of this man who isn't quite so upstanding. No. He's willing to pay take dives. He's doing it for good reason. He's doing it so he has a girlfriend who can get a donut shop. But it's still, you know, again, even though it may be for a good reason, it's not a good thing to do. Right. And so Sam's hearing all this, and again, Sam is the very emotional type. He's very much the type that, you know, that that kind of bothers him knowing that's who he's leapt into, I think. And so he's, he's trying to tell his sister, well, I'm not the same Cody. I'm not the same guy. And he's literally not the same person that took right, dives right. in the previous matches. He's Right, and he's trying to kind of reassure her. Right, and convince her that he's not the same person when, as far as she's concerned, he is. right. Without explaining his whole get up. Right. Which, how did, would you explain that? That would be a little hard to... I'm not... Could you taken too many punches to the head? <laughs> it's not my soul, really. It's someone else's soul and blah, 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 you know, and... Because really, it's kind of like that. Yeah, over Think about it, you know, and Sam's soul looping through different souls and taking this soul out of this soul and switching souls and... Oh my gosh, I'm, now I'm my... Oh gosh, let's not even go there. <laughs> Holy crap. But yeah, so then the fight happens. Yes. And Sam starts on the losing end. He gets knocked down. He sees Sister Angela's... Sister he's, Angela not knowing exactly what's going on. Thinks he's taking a dive. Yeah, well, because he not gets to the floor and she thinks that's where he's just going to check right. out. 
And he sees her face, and he's trying to get up. Yes. Because, again, that's, that's who Sam is. He's very sentimental, very concerned right. about other people. And at that point, that's when he has Dixie streak through the crowd. Sorry, just not be in that crowd at that time. No, but uh, just distracting everybody, distracting everybody. Even though even uh, was the Tiger Joe Jackson stops and looks at the the blonde running through naked through the crowd, which is the other his component, which gives Sam a chance to give a good knock punch, knocks him down, but not out. Right. Uh, he's turned around, facing away from him, and Sam. <laughs> Uh, Sam gets a good hit in. Yeah, Al shows up. I, I think you made him mad. Well, of course, I knocked him out. No, he didn't knock him out. Again, <laughs> I, you know, I always love the interaction between Sam and Al. You know, it's great the way they, they interact with one another. Al always comes through for Sam the oh, last yeah, minute. Pretty much so. At least you hope he does. Like I don't, I don't, I don't. Let's. No, I'm joking. Shut up. <laughs> And I like how he puts his hand through the guy, and he's like, "Hit me, hit it here." Yeah, it's like Sam is like, because again, Kid Cody would have known where to punch him. Sam didn't, so that's right. why he said, I was kind of helping him out. He punch him here, punch him here. And he's like, "Just follow my hand," because well, that and Sam was about to like check out, right? Because Sam was going down to the Batcave. Yes. He really was. He was going to the Batcave very quickly. So. You know, he at that point it was just follow my hand and just start right. swinging, and I think you know that shows how much Al takes care of Sam. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much so. And I liked to me that part of the episode spoke volumes to me. I don't know why, but that really spoke volumes as far as their relationship goes. How Al takes care of Sam. Right. Well, and earlier in the episode, Al was a little distracted with the the neighbor working on his motorcycle all night and keeping him up. Yeah, he was very being very selfish. Well, it's, I, I, not I, selfish in a bad way, well, but very, selfish. Just, he was very distracted, and I think selfish is the wrong word there. He was just distracted, and he, he wasn't able to concentrate fully because his mind again he's tired. So again, selfish is really the wrong word for that, in my opinion. It's just he was distracted, is what I would say. Um, I don't. Even, I don't know. To me, it, it he wasn't being selfish in a bad way, but he was more locked on himself, his own problems. Right. He was worried about himself, worried about his. And I know it's because he was so tired and he needed right. sleep and stuff. But it's, Sam still kind of needed Al, but Al. Seemingly, every time Sam talked out, all Al complained about was the neighbor. Well, because he was distracted. I think we're saying the same thing. We're just using different words for it. But I feel like... Mm, I, I just don't like using the word selfish, selfish. because, it, again, I don't think it's, Al had a lot of control over it, per se, because he was so tired and it just he couldn't sleep. And that's why when, they, when he first showed up in the alley, he was laying on the ground trying to get some rest just because, you know... A few minutes of peace and quiet. When you're so tired, it, sometimes it, it's hard to not take it. Yeah, but there's there's another word I want, I'm looking for, but I can't think of it right now. But just, I feel like there was more. I feel like distracted kind of downplays, downplays it. it, but I think being selfish is a little bit too harsh. Right. 
So there's something in the middle. I think we can meet, kind of meet in the middle right. on that and, and find a better ground. But I would say, yeah, you're you're right. I'm right in that middle all ground. Right. That's all whatever, got. whatever. <laughs> but um, but in when he when he came through and was there for Al. But I don't know. It just there was something about that moment for me. For someone who hasn't seen a lot of interaction right. between the two, and I haven't seen a lot of their relationship grow, and I right. haven't seen a lot, that was a neat moment for me. And again, me. this is only the third episode. Right. So yeah, that's very much... So it was neat for me to see their their growth. Right. And not even really their growth, just part of their friendship and, you know, him taking care of Elle in that regard. Because to me... Al's got that boyish charm, and where Al is more you mean Sam worldly. Sam has a boyish charm. Huh? You should mean Sam has a Sam, boyish charm. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sam has a boyish charm, where Al is more worldly. Oh, very much so. And so Sam's finally able to knock him out. And I like the way when they're fighting, he finally lands the last blow, and and uh, Tiger Johnson's or Tiger Jackson's all unstaying on his feet, and Al just blows on him, even though Al's not actually there to blow on him, just symbolically blows on him. And he falls over. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, it was just him being cocky. Right. Just, because Al's cocky. Al be an, Al be an Al. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and then the episode, <laughs> the episode ends with us finding out, you know, basically what happened. That Sam kind of broke his own rules, which he tends to do sometimes, by betting on the, the Foreman-Ali fight. Oh, because he knew the future. He knew how that was going to end. And in theory, he shouldn't have used his his future knowledge to win a bet. Right. But Seems like he's kind of used his knowledge a few times or broken a few rules so far. He's going to kind of well, start getting a tally against him. Last episode was all about him breaking his rules. Right. <laughs> if, but if they're his rules, are they his rules to break? I mean, if you're setting the guidelines and then you're the one who's running... The, say like, okay, let's do this. If you start a project and you're like, we can't step over a line the, that's blue. And then you start doing the stuff and then you realize that you really do have to step over the line that's blue because you have to get to the line that's yellow. And you have to do it. You have to do it. Is that really breaking the rule? Or are you just revamping your project to further the project? Right. And I, 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 I was going to let you continue because I'm not going to argue with you because I agree with you 100%. Sam is the one that basically created Project Quantum Leap and the Starbright Project. Sam is the one that stepped in the accelerator and left. So Sam's actually out in the field. So he's realizing that some of the stuff may actually need to be tweaked tweaked as he goes along. So then why are the people, I keep calling the people in the white coats because that's what I've named them. Right. Because I named things different names like your pizza cutter is now the wonky donkey. <laughs> but um, then why are the people in the white coats so pissed off and they, why are they, why are they so saying that there's so many rules and. Because it's a government project. Oh. And even though Sam is the one that created Project Quantum Leap, Sam is the one that he's the, the, the brains behind it. He's the one that's out in the field leaping and all this. Mm-hmm. 
It's a government project. Okay. The government's funding it. The government has to give approval. If the government was to cut their budget, as we, we talked about earlier, if if they were to cut the budget, if they were to close down Project Quantum Leap, Sam's stuck out there on his own with no support. And who knows what will happen if that happens. Okay. If they were to close everything down, shut down the, the accelerator and everything, who knows what would happen to Sam out on his own. Would he be stuck where he's at? Would he continue leaping? And if so, where would the body go? Does Sam build? have other family that's missing him? Um, so after that... Gee, many Christmas. We're definitely... Well... Because I know his dad died, but is his mom alive? You're not going to tell me, are you? He does mention he has a mom. In a previous episode, he's mentioned he has a sister. Oh, that's right. I forget what else was mentioned and what I know, so I don't want to go too far into it. <laughs> but... So he, let's put it this way. He did have other family. I just won't go as far as that much around and what they're thinking. Because again, we will touch on this in future episodes. Okay. And some of the other... We cannot record fast enough for me. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of these questions yeah, will be answered in future episodes. We're just going to have to record like one episode a night. Because... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. He, he... Kids? We don't have kids? <laughs> Drop in the fire department. <laughs> The episode ends with uh, Sam and Dixie explaining how the money's being split up, explaining it to uh, Dean Stockwell's brother. <laughs> and like they, they, they walk out with, uh, with what's his name? Uh, I forget the guy's name now. The book he's walked out with the book. He's like, yeah, we need to talk. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, now he's in trouble. <laughs> yeah, because now he owes this big guy money. all this money. So. <laughs> Yeah, so Dixie goes out to collect the money, and while she's gone, Sister Angela walks in, apologizes for doubting him, and Sam leaps out into the pig farmer. Yep. As you call him. The pig farmer guy. Yes, the pig farmer guy. Yep. We'll talk more about next episode. Any other thoughts on this episode, though, The Right Hand of God? No, I just thought it was a pretty good episode, and now that we broke it down... I think I enjoyed it more than I thought I did. <laughs> like the more when we talk, when we start talking right. about well, again, it, you, you get then more I'm things like, cleared up and yeah. more questions asked. Once and- you start really processing <laughs> it, that's it's funny because I I like the show, but then when you start talking about it and you break it down, I'm like, dude, I really yeah, like. Yeah, it'll bring up show. things you may have missed, or you, when you're talking about things, it brings up things you didn't really think too much about. Oh, that's why I like talking about those other people because I see you brought up things that I didn't really catch. Just because, you know, our different perspectives, so... Well, unless you have any other thoughts on this episode, I think we've pretty much covered most of it. Uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfischdorfner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? I uh, just... I just... I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is, like, DC events. DC events? As in the comic books? DC events? Yes, yes. The comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we, we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very. Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No. Oh. Okay. Well, 
I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What, what, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DCOCD. Oh, Okay. I won't even charge you for it. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I don't think I can claim you on benefits. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) When shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. (laughs) Cool. Time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994 or 1944 or maybe 2994. Time is under threat and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis and how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember Legion. Welcome back from the break. Uh, make sure you check out a lot of those podcasts. They're really great shows. Uh, now we're going to move on to our next segment. Uh, this is What's on Sam's Playlist. I hope this music is better than the last episodes. I mean, except for Elvis and the Doors, <laughs> but come on, grazing in the grass. No. <laughs> well, let's, <laughs> go and take a, let's go and jump in and take a look and see. Uh, so the first song up is called I Honestly Love You. By Olivia Newton-John. Okay, well, I mean... Olivia Newton-John. Grease. It's Sandy. What do you want? Well, let's go listen to it. Alright. John singing I Honestly Love You. I like Olivia Newton-John. I, I loved her in Greece. She's a very beautiful woman. Uh, I, I like the song Xanadu. Uh, a few other physical. Let's get physical. 
I honestly can't say I recall hearing the song before. Really? Yeah. I've heard it. I've heard it. It's not one of my favorites, but I'm like you. I mean, it's Olivia Newton-John. But I'll just say that I know it. I'm okay. good at that. It's not my favorite. It's a little more than I am. I don't came to say I recognize it offhand, so... I, I, I think I've heard it because I think my mom has, like, probably sang it to me, like, in jest or something. Right. I don't know, but I've heard it. And I may have heard it somewhere. It just doesn't ring any bells with me. It's not like, let's get physical or Xanadu or and something. And that was, like, top, one, like, number one? For the, yeah. For that month. Hmm. Yep. So, let's go and move on from that one, then, since neither one of us have really much to say about it. Uh, the next one, I don't recognize this offhand. We'll see. It's called Nothing From Nothing by Billy Preston. Nothing from Nothing by Billy Preston. Uh, it sounds vaguely familiar. I'm not sure offhand. You have like look on your face, so it probably doesn't sound familiar to you. I mean, yeah, but I don't know. And I'm such a huge music lover, and like I'm so disappointed so far in like almost all the music <laughs> we've done so far, except for a few. But see, I like that one. It's a little more upbeat, a little, a little wackier, a little, get me a little. A little spring in your step? A little spring, yeah. I like that song. You're doing like the daddy dance? Yes. I like that song. It's, again, it sounds a little familiar from somewhere, but yeah. Well, it sounds like something you would like hear like in a movie or like somebody would sample it for something, but I I like that song. It's, again, nothing against Living Newton John, but I like that one a little better than I Honestly Love You. Just because, again, it's a little more upbeat, a little more do 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 do. Well, you like you seem to like the brass, like you yeah. like brass and horns, yeah, and that kind of thing. And I don't know. I'll I'll just say okay. on to the third one and the final one for this episode oh please make it good well it was Dion Warwick and the Spinners that helps you a little bit then came you it's probably a slow song well, let's check it out and see
And that was Then Came You by Dion Warwick and the Spinners. Uh, to me, it's a little familiar again, but I, I couldn't pick it out of a lineup. You? Uh, no, but her name sounded so familiar, I had to look her up because I knew I knew her. Right. And as soon as I Googled her face, I was like, oh, she's the Saul Gold Lady. <laughs> like, that's how I knew her because I loved that show when I was little. And I was like, I know her. Like, I love her face because I loved her growing up. Like, well, I also had to look. And I know her best from the Psychic Friends Network. Oh, you're the, such a dork. The commercials for the Psychic Friends Network. Uh, like, oh, that's where I know her. Okay, that, I know she's also a singer, but that's, as far as not singing, that's where I know her from, is the Psychic Friends Network spokeswoman. She's related to Whitney Houston, too. Yes, her cousin. Yeah. And you want to know something really kind of funny? Since you were, not funny, but like kind of. I'm going to say wonky donkey because <laughs> it's like my favorite term in the whole wide world. And you're shaking your head right now. Did you know back in March 21st, 2013, she declared bankruptcy because of the mismanagement of her business, business affairs and she lists liabilities that included nearly $7 million she owed to the IRS. From the years from 1991 to 1999, and more than $3 million in business taxes owed to the state of California. How do you do that? Got a good lawyer. How do you how do you owe that much money to the I, IRS? I don't know. You work for the IRS, you probably see that stuff. Not that big of numbers, but I mean usually it's it's where I'm at, it's usually people. Because, again, I started off in the 1040X department, which is people forgetting they have children and they need to amend the returns to include them and things like that. <laughs> they forget they have children? Yeah, no, I actually, oh, I forgot about this child here, da-da-da, I need to add him on. How the heck do you forget your children? Anyways, and then I'm currently at exam where we look at people that are getting, the, getting like, refundable credits. So we don't usually look at people that have millions of dollars and oh, that kind of stuff. So. It says it right here. Work made the top 250 delinquent tax players list published in 2007, California Revenue Tax Citation Code, Section 19195, whatever tax board to publish an annual list of the top 250 taxpayers with lean state income tax delinquencies greater than $100,000 in an effort to collect money from those taxpayers some whom have been delinquent since 1987. Mm-hmm. And probably my guess is what happened is she hired some some putts to take care of her finances for her. Uh, said putts, instead of paying her tax like he's supposed to, he probably pocketed that money instead of paying the state of California and me, the IRS. The IRS. Well, it says right here the IRS eventually discovered that a large portion of the lien was due to an accounting error mm -hmm. and revoked $1.2 million of the tax lien in 2009. So does that mean that they forgave it? Yeah. Because it was an error? Yeah, they realized Which... part of that was an error, so you discounted part. But the rest of it, yeah, it was just, again, how someone can get that much. I mean, she earned a lot of money. Right. So if she didn't pay her tax like she was supposed to... And again, she, a lot of these people aren't, forgive the wording on this, aren't smart enough 
to know how to do all that. So they hire someone to do it. And you trust the person that you hired is taking care of your finances. Right. When they don't, you end up owing $7 million to the IRS. God, that would be a scary feeling, wouldn't it? Yeah, they'll come knocking at your door. Excuse me, you owe us some money, young lady? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that, I can understand how that could happen. Again, Diane works a singer, uh, a writer, this and that. She She's not a... Financial consultant. Financial person, yes. She, she can sing. But yeah, doing the tax forms, especially as much money as she's probably make, was making, yeah. is a little daunting. So she hired someone. She hired the wrong person, basically. That's too bad. But yeah, no, she she's made some really amazing music. And she's a, she she's done some really cool things. She's worked with Burke Bacharach, which was one of the other uh, writers that we were talking about in one of our other... I think, we talk, I think we'll talk about it next month. Oh, is that next month we talked about so. him? Oh, okay. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. It could have been last month. I slept since then. Who knows? But yeah, that was beyond work. Work. For the Psychic Friends Network. And <laughs> then came for you. Or then came you. Well, unless you have any other thoughts on that, we'll move on to our next segment. You know what you want to say about that? About those songs or anything? No. Just that you're a little disappointed with them? No, I'm just hoping that we get some good music coming up because this is just kind of bumming me out. <laughs> I was going to move on to our next segment. Again, I don't have an opening for this yet, but maybe I'll do that so in the future. Uh, this is what we're calling it a brush with history. Uh, this episode, it was very blatant because it was part of the uh, it was part of the plot. The Muhammad Ali fight versus... Shoeless Joe Jackson. No, wrong person. I know. J- uh, Foreman. George Foreman. My mind turned off for a second. Uh, this was that was actually a fight. Uh, we called Rumble in the Jungle. It was a historic boxing event set in Kinshasa, Zaire, which is now the Democratic Republic of the Congo, on October the thirtieth, nineteen seventy-four. Uh, held at the twentieth of May Stadium, which is now known as the Stade Tata Rafael, it pitted the undefeated world heavyweight champion George Foreman, who now sells grills, against the challenger Muhammad Ali. Sting like a butterfly, no. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. There you go, you got it. I'm gonna float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. George can't hit what his hands can't see. Now you see me, now you don't. He think he will, but I know he won't. They tell me George is good, but I'm twice as nice. And I'm gonna stick to his butt like white old rice. That's right. That's the greatest of all, all time. time. Of all time. All time. And they're all gonna buy- uh, The former heavyweight champion. The event had an attendance of 60,000 people. Ali won by a knockout, paying Foreman down just before the end of the eighth round, which he would know if he'd watch this episode, because Sam makes a bet on the eighth round. Uh, it has been called arguably the greatest sporting event of the 20th century. It was a major upset victory with Ali coming in as a 4-1 to underdog against the unbeaten, heavy-hitting Foreman. The fight is famous for Ali's introduction of the rope-a-dope tactic, which everyone, I'm sure everyone's heard of the rope-a-dope. Nope. nope. Never heard of it. It's a fight, yeah, it's... it's Again, I don't know what it is offhand, but yeah, there's those old ropey dope. It's just always, anytime it comes to boxing stuff, they talk about those, the old ropey dope. The fight was watched by a record estimated television audience of 1 billion viewers worldwide, becoming the world's most watched live television broadcast at the time. This included a recorded estimated 50 million viewers watching the fight on pay per view on closed circuit TV. The fight grossed an estimated $100 million. 
in worldwide revenue, which if you adjust it for today's money, would be worth $5 million. Wow. So that was the the fight. Again, I was I was four at the time. I wasn't much, so much watching boxing matches at this point. <laughs> I was watching Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and Electric Company. So <laughs> I wasn't. Again, you weren't even tweaking your daddy's eye. Yep. Uh, but again, I've always heard of the the Ali Foreman fight. Anyway, we everyone knows Ali. Everyone knows George Foreman. You got George Foreman selling girls nowadays. That's how low he sunk. But. <laughs> or how smart he is, one of the two. One of the two, yeah, I don't know what it is. Business plans. When you don't want to fight anymore, what do you do? Sell, sell grills. Yeah, sell grills. Sell the George Foreman grill. Yeah, no, so I guess he actually is pretty smart. <laughs> Instead of getting his brains beat in. Making money <laughs> off of infomercials. Making money off people. Because I tell you what, those grills. things sold like hotcakes. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I know a family that had one. Yeah, I knew a couple families that had one. You use, we used that one quite a bit for a while there. Yes, we did. <laughs> but anyways, that was the, the the brush of history for this month. Any other thoughts on that before we, we close out of that? No, I think uh, we covered quite a bit. I think it it was interesting to see him bet on that, like we talked about. Right, yeah, we talked about that during the main segment of the show. Yeah. That Yeah, see, I'm using future knowledge to make bets to help out his host. Which, again, I mean, he shouldn't do, but, again, as we said, he, he's the project creator. He's the, the person leaping. He's, you know, able to make changes to the roles as needed on the fly. <laughs> and unlike last episode, this was actually a, cha- uh, a change of the rules to help somebody out, not to help himself out. So, can't go wrong there. No. Anyways, unless you have any other thoughts about anything we've talked about today, I guess we can end it there. Though... Normally, we would be back in 30 days with episode four, where he leaps into, what he leap into? A pig farmer. A pig farmer. Uh, we'll talk, be talking about that next month with uh, our buddy Hayden McQueenie again. But uh, that's going to do it for this month. But be on the lookout. Should we tell him? I think we should. Let's put a bit in that. No. no. <laughs> No, we are going to be releasing a a special episode 3.5 with some bonus content. Uh, We've kind of hinted around earlier in the episode about it. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but uh, watch for it in the coming days. We'll have episode 3.5 with some bonus content. We have some fun special guest. Yes, we do. We actually said who it was, too. Yes. And not referring to Hayden. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I guess that's going to do it for this episode. Yes. And we do hope that you enjoy the bonus content because we had a lot of fun. Oh, very much so. And we appreciate the time spent. Yes. Okay. So we already saw at the end of the episode that he jumps into a pig farmer. So usually I ask you at the end of the episode for our podcasts if you can give me a clue or a hint for the next episode. And then you do your little dealy bob, and then I complain. But I'm going to ask anyways, even though... You know the answer. But anyways, go ahead ahead and ask. I like hearing you ask. I know. Because I'm going to ask anyways, because I want to... I need to know something. you got to give me just a little bit. Because since they already tell me he's a pig farmer, tell me something else. Just a little bit. Come on. I want to know. I will tell you something. You're wrong. What do you mean? He's not a pig farmer. He's not a pig farmer. 
That's all I'm going to say. You're wrong. He is not a pig farmer. It's what it may look like, but he's not a pig farmer. We'll find out next month what he is. Well, check your little dewy bob and oh, tell me something. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, you want to know what it says? Um, it says you're wrong. He's not a pig farmer. You smarty pants. <laughs> and something about Piggy Sue. Oh, Piggy Sue. Piggy Sue? Yeah, you know, he was holding a pig in his arm. You know, Piggy. Piggy, you know, they say Suey. Piggy Sue. Oh, boy. Thank you for listening to the Starbright Project. Join us monthly as we continue leaping with Sam and Al. If you like the show, I recommend buying Quantum Leap on Blu-ray. You can also watch it on the NBC website or app. The only thing on this show that Michelle and I own are our thoughts and opinions. NBC Universal own the rights to Quantum Leap, and any songs that we use are owned by their respective owners. Any clips we use, we're using good faith for the show. I know this doesn't excuse us legally, but we just want NBC to sue us. We're as big fans of the show and want to share that love with the world. For more podcasting goodness, check out the other shows on the Headcast Network. Head Speaks is released on the first Tuesday of the month, where I talk about comics, TV shows, movies, books, whatever I want, but it's usually geek-related. G.I. Joe, Royal American Headcast, is normally out the second Tuesday of the month, where a rotating batch of guest hosts and I discuss the G.I. Joe comics and cartoons from the 80s. The third Thursday brings us Task Force X, where I talk about John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate comics, both from the late 80s, early 90s. Finally, the fourth Tuesdays of the month, we have the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I examine the Will Payton Starman comic and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comics, again, both from the late 80s. Then on Thursdays, I release my second batch of shows, where Michelle shows up on most of them. The first Thursday of the month, I'll be releasing the Starbright Project, a Quantum Leap podcast, where Michelle and I look at the greatest time travel show in the late 80s and early 90s. Then the second Thursday of the month, look for Retrospect of the 80s. You guessed it, Michelle and myself take a time travel trip back to the greatest decade that was, in my opinion. The third Thursday will possibly, maybe, bring another show, Voyager's Cast, where Michelle, I, and some guests look at the best time travel show from the early 80s. And finally, on the fourth Thursday of the month, I have Bravo Team, where myself and possibly some guest hosts talk about anything G.I. Joe related, not covering the main G.I. Joe show. Also, if you like what I'm doing, please check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash headcastnetwork. If you're enjoying my shows, throw a few bucks in the bin. It'd be most appreciated. But that'll do it for this episode. Join us next time to see where Sam ends up. Oh, boy. 